0: Head on over to morgandwilliams.com newsletter and putting your best email to get first in line for valuable resources that I share on how you can fill your calendar with sales meetings and your pipeline with opportunities. Now let's start today's show.
1: Welcome to the B2B Sales Tech Podcast. This is the place where you'll find real conversations with real sales leaders about how you can leverage sales technology to get ahead of the pack. Improve your sales numbers by taking advantage of emerging technology before your competitors get there first. They'll share everything from the trends they're seeing in the marketplace to actionable strategies that you can use to make more sales today. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen. Listen on. Here's your host, Morgan Williams.
0: Welcome to the B2B Sales Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Morgan Williams, and today we're going to do things a little differently. Today we're going to talk about what it takes to sell in hard times. Whether there's things going on in the world or you know things going on in your personal life that are difficult. Us salespeople consultants, we still have to do our jobs. 2020 has thrown a lot of people for a loop worldwide, and at the time of this recording, we're only about halfway through. So I really felt that it was important to touch on how we, as salespeople, consultants, people selling products and services, whether our own or someone else's, can do our jobs effectively with empathy and still succeed. Today, I have an excellent guest who is going to speak on this, I have joined with me today Niraj Kapoor, expert sales coach, trainer, and best selling author. Niraj has trained salespeople at large companies like Barclays and over 300 SMEs on sales strategies, techniques, and selling with integrity. In his book, Everybody Works in Sales, he tells his life story of nonstop failure and his rise to success. For Niraj, it's not just how much you know, it's how much you take action on. Also, learning and implementing are major keys to success in sales in business. Niraj, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate you uh, hopping on the podcast.
2: Morgan, that is a fantastic introduction. Every time I'm on <laughs> stage, you. you're going to be there for me to introduce me. That was, that was <laughs> incredible. Thank you.
0: <laughs> thanks. I appreciate it. Let's start with your background and how you got into sales and how you got to where you are now.
2: Well, nobody I know really plans a career in sales is something that often happens by default i grew up in a small town in ireland um for your listeners you know i'm indian my parents were indian as well but i grew up in belfast and in the 70s and 1980s belfast was not a great place to be it's a fantastic place not because i left (laughs) (laughs) there was a lot of terrorism and all kinds of bad things happening at the time there was no internet there was four tv channels there wasn't really much to do in a small town and a lot of people have been there their whole lives, and I just thought, you know what, I want to discover the world. And I figured London's, everybody keeps saying it's the greatest city in the world, it's so awesome, you you want to make it, you have to go to London. And I guess that was the first thing. And the second thing, I didn't really like school. I have nothing Mm. against hard work. I just couldn't understand why I was learning the stuff I was, because I couldn't see what good it would do me in life. And it's kind of ironic that 30 years later, a lot of people now are starting to understand through the works of Tony Robbins and Jim Rohn, a lot of the greatest speakers in the world, that what you learn in school is so irrelevant. Mm-hmm. But you know, when you're a kid telling teachers and parents, I don't get this, everybody just thought I was stupid. <laughs> really, they really didn't <laughs> get the fact that I'm like, this is not going to help me in the world learning these lessons and getting this homework. And I don't know how to survive, I don't know anything about money or charity work, or nutrition, or nothing. You know, I wanted to learn more apart from just education and school. And so music was all I cared about. So I cut some demo tapes. In those days, we didn't even have CDs. It was tapes. And um, I came to London to Sony Records and Epic, uh, CBS, Virgin, Warner Brothers, I determined to be a rock star. After six months, everybody said no to me. Mm. And that was soul-destroying. And I was so ashamed I didn't go back home. And I spent the next 18 months of my life on welfare. And welfare is, it's soul destroying. It led to a horrible depression. I was a pretty bad state. And uh, one day there was a knock on my door and my flat, tiny little flat, apartment, I guess you guys would call it, uh, <laughs> probably the size of this room is my entire apartment, actually. <laughs> and it was my father. And uh, My father's very old school. Doesn't say I love you. Doesn't say I'm proud of you. Doesn't do any of that nonsense. You know, he's old school man. And he said, look, this is embarrassing. You got to come back home. I said, dad, I can come back home. I'm a failure. And he goes, you have to get a job. But I had no qualifications. And the only job, I looked through the newspapers, every job required a degree except one job, sales. <laughs> and that was it. So yeah. I got my resume together. I put together so many resumes, sent them all out, went to London, just knocked on doors, Gave my CV to everybody. Everybody said no. And then one company, a big publishing company called Centaur, uh, they said yes because the receptionist was Irish. And so she was really nice to me. And she introduced me to the head of uh, training. And a week later, I had my first job in sales, my first proper job in sales. That was quite a journey to get there. But it was important I explain that journey because it was one of just horrible failure before I even started in sales. So I guess sure. I understood the first proper lesson in sales failure.
0: Sure, sure. And you end up successfully selling yourself, right? To this, to this yeah. company.
2: But at the time, of course, I, didn't, I was too young to realize that. Mm-hmm. You know, When you're young, I just wasn't very self-aware at that age. And of course, many salespeople today, especially young ones, have zero self-awareness. They don't think of, I must read books. Most right. of them have read a book. They have no idea. of. I must better myself. I must become more knowledgeable as a person in sales and do better. They don't think like that at all. And unfortunately, at that age, I just wasn't very self-aware either.
0: Sure, sure. So what were you doing for Centaur? Is that right, Centaur?
2: So Centaur was an old-fashioned magazine house. So back in the 1990s, magazines were huge in London and over the world. And I would sell advertising in the magazine. So you had small classified adverts at the back mm-hmm. and then half pages and full pages. And if this is average, I was just slightly above average. I mm-hmm. wasn't brilliant, but I just outworked people.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And I picked up the phone and I asked questions. I mean, that was really it. I only had three skills. I was mm-hmm. really hardworking. I picked up the phone. Really, I asked questions to my clients. I did care. It wasn't Mm -hmm. just about getting commission. That kept me above average. Eventually, I would get promoted to doing events and launching yearbooks. And I just kept doing like two jobs at once. I would have my day job, which was selling the magazines, and then my evening job, which was selling yearbooks and hospitality to hotels and people like that. So it was like I had two incomes. And when you're young and you have two incomes, it's like, wow, I'm earning a pretty decent salary here. And at the age of 24, I bought my first house, which was almost unheard of. People like Young don't buy houses in London unless they're quite well off. But also back then, property was much cheaper in London. Now, it's unaffordable. But you know, 25, 30 years ago, it was cheaper. And all those commissions I saved up, commission, 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 commission. And luckily, very luckily, I got a very small house at the time. And it was great. But after 10 years of doing that, it was like, okay, where do I go now? Because the magazine industry, in 2004 was being hit quite hard by the internet and I kind of wanted to just go where the change was and there was 30 people in the office and we were all using internet explorer at one stage (laughs) we were all sharing computers over lunchtime to go on the internet it was terrible but oh god yeah that company I worked with was such a big powerful company with thousands of staff and now they're a tiny company with like a few hundred people because they did not invest online
0: Mm at all So those, when you first started selling these space ads, it was all cold calling, it sounds like.
2: I would say at the beginning it was 100% cold calling. Mm -hmm. And as I built my client base, maybe it became only 30% cold calling, 70% account management and upselling. Mm -hmm. And upselling was something I was quite good at because nobody else was doing upselling. I'm like, okay, they're buying this. Maybe I can sell them this as well. Oh, they're buying four pages. Hmm, Maybe, ah, we've got this event coming up. Why don't I sell them a table at this event or a sponsor at this event? So I I was always selling to my clients because Mm -hmm. that's the easiest way to make money. But at the Mm -hmm. same time, in those days, you couldn't hide behind email. You just couldn't. You had to pick up the phone or go see your customers. So I guess I was quite lucky in many ways. I learned valuable lessons, which today are more important than ever.
0: So what was that experience like starting cold calling like that? Never having experience doing that? Like, what did you gather from that process, and how did you handle it?
2: I gathered cold calling is absolutely horrible. (laughs) (laughs) My feelings haven't changed. Um, But back then, it was a bit easier. You could call people up and say, hi, I'm calling from this company, and I just want to ask you a few questions for about five minutes, Mm -hmm. you know, about your competition and how you're better than your competition and how I can help you. You can't do that now. Now you're expected to know who the competition is. Now nobody gives you five minutes on the phone. They give you 20 to 30 seconds if you're lucky. Mm-hmm. So nowadays you have to know more, you have to understand the client, you gotta be punchier, and you gotta ask better questions. 20, 25 years ago, you could talk to me for five minutes, sometimes even ten minutes. Mm-hmm. So, but at the same time, a lot of people still said that. we still have to contact 30 to 40 people a day just to have seven or eight, maybe really good conversations. You know, gotcha. so those are really good numbers, whereas today they call 40 people you don't speak to seven or eight maybe speak to three or four you know it's gone Mm -hmm. down quite a bit but the phone is still especially when times are tough right now and by the way even though we're all in lockdown with covid 19 even when it's lifted in a month or two months it's still going to be tough budgets aren't going to suddenly come up nowhere again it's going to be tough for a while you got summer coming up Things may improve at Christmas, but nobody really buys at Christmas. And then January, nobody's buying for two weeks. So you always have times through the year, Morgan, where times are tough. Mm -hmm. And you have to really adapt to that. And you really have to learn and just go up a gear. And one of the best things you can do is pick up the telephone. It's so important. Mm -hmm. But of course, when times are tough, you don't just pick up the telephone and sell. You pick up the telephone and say, look, I know times are tough right now. You know, I'm struggling as well. My client's going through a hard time. How can I help? and you'd be amazed how many times a client will talk and give you like 60 seconds of their time, Mm -hmm. sometimes two minutes, they'll just complain about furlough or staff or sometimes their own job and it gives you a chance to be a great listener, which is a skill many salespeople do not have Mm -hmm. and it gives you a chance to be a bit of a human being, which again, many salespeople are not very human, but just commission, commission, target, target. And I'm one of the few people who've done very well during this difficult time. Because I've picked up the phone, I've asked questions, I've listened, I've empathized, and I've helped so many people. Not get deals for myself, I've helped other people.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I've had clients of mine lose their jobs. I've given them LinkedIn recommendations or I've helped them with their resumes. I've introduced them to recruitment consultancies even though they can no longer do business with me. And then they put it on LinkedIn a month later and I got this job through Naranch, what a great guy. He's not even my client anymore. The guy can never earn money off me. And he went and got me this job. And then my reputation builds. And people think, oh, this guy's not your typical sales guy. And that's really important for your brand and your reputation because a lot of people think salespeople are all the same. We're not. But a lot of people think that. So these are little things people should be doing when times are tough is helping as many people as possible.
0: Gotcha. So a couple of things I gather from that, you know, actually leading With empathy by having those actual one-to-one conversations. There's only so much you can convey in an email to someone. And you know, the thing with email is you never know how they're going to actually read it. So connecting with people on the phone and having those conversations is key. And also helping the person, not just the company or helping them with their job, actually helping them. So what do you say to the salesperson who they're working, they're a full-time employee at a company and their boss may be, or their organization may be super results focused, quota focused, and they just don't see that they have that. I won't say time because they have time. It's just more of like priorities, right? How do you balance that for people who actually want to be empathetic, but, they're trying to juggle, like still trying to hit their numbers. It's kind of like, how do you actually be truly authentic without being somewhat self-seeking because you're still a salesperson at the end of the day? What's that balance?
2: Well, there's a number of ways to answer that. The First thing is you can't go to your boss and say, look, I'd like to make less phone calls. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'd like to connect with my clients and build a deeper. They don't care. Most bosses, not all bosses, because some bosses are sure. good. Most bosses care about hitting target, getting their bonuses, and keeping their job. That's really right. what they care about, which isn't always the best attitude. Of course, you've got to keep one eye on the, the overall prize. That's very important. But a lot of bosses don't think about really developing their staff enough or, or really supporting their staff. All they want is the target. So mm-hmm. you can't just go to your boss like that. What you can do is try out a few things, like I just mentioned, and then go to your boss saying, look, I, I spent... Half day this morning, and I've spoken to my clients. I've listened more, I've given them my time, I've made less phone calls. But look at the results I'm getting the client is now engaging with me again, or I move the client a step along the pipeline, Mm -hmm. and I'm making better progress than I was just calling before. So, how do you feel if instead of making, say, 40 phone calls a day, I'm making 30 phone calls a day? But look at the success I'm making because ultimately. If your bosses see you making success, they don't really care if you make 30 or 20 phone calls a day, as long as they see progress Mm -hmm. and then results. Because ultimately, that's what bosses care about, progress and results. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing. Uh, The second thing is I would put in longer hours because I am working harder than ever. You know, we're doing this podcast on a Saturday Mm -hmm. because during the week, I'm too busy. You know, (laughs) I'm busy coaching. I'm busy doing LinkedIn training. I got my own podcast. I'm promoting my second book. I'm planning my third book. I'm doing my charity work. I have to do all of my podcasts on a Saturday and a Sunday night, just because I'm having to work so hard during the week. So you've got to put in extra hours as well. Salespeople don't realize, I think, sometimes Morgan, how lucky they are to have jobs where, in many cases, they're kind of in control of their own futures. You know, but if you want to be successful at any job, you're not going to. Be successful working nine to five. I'm sorry, you're just not. Right. You gotta put in the effort. Exactly. You know, right. and most successful people I know, not all, but majority of successful people I know do not work nine to five. They're right. in the office about half seven, eight, and they work till about half five, six, and then quite often on the journey home. Or if they're working from home, then in the evenings or mornings over breakfast, they're listening to podcasts on sales, reading sales books. They're bettering themselves, but they're all putting in 10 to 12 hours a day. They're not doing nine to five. I know very few people who do nine to five and are very successful. And salespeople need to understand that. You're so lucky to have a job where you get commission as well as a basic salary. You've mm. got to put the hours in for success. Mm. Anybody who tells you, you can work really hard in life by not doing many hours is a con artist.
0: Sure. Sure. I completely agree with that to recap a couple things I gathered from that if you're working for an organization that or boss that may not necessarily care about you leading with empathy if they're just super numbers driven like we were saying you need to have that real conversation with them like just like you were talking about having that real conversation with you know your prospects you got to have that same real conversation with your management and like level set with them and figure out you know A lot of salespeople and managers are very optimistic and like to be, you know, keep the energy up, but macro events or macro events, a lot of things are out of your control, but you can adapt and adjust and getting on the same wavelength of like, how can we do this and still make this work? Um, So that's what I gathered from you from that piece. And the second with priorities and time, you have to make a decision between, do you want a sales job or a sales career? right? Do do you want to just, you know, kind of scrape by and middle around? Or do you really want to be achieve excellence? Do you how, you know, what do you actually want out of it? And if you get clear on that, be honest with yourself, it sounds like you'll be better at figuring out how to make it work. You know, some people, maybe grad school didn't work out, they got a sales job, they've been there for a couple years, and they just maybe got promoted because they were around and they're still there. And it's like, they hate it. You know, if you hate it, don't do it. Because you're expected to put in that extra effort for commission, right? It's like sales, you're never really technically done, right? You can always do more. So I thought those are really two great points or big themes that you brought up. So I appreciate that. Before the call, you were chatting a little bit about what's happened recently in your business because of coronavirus and how that affected you. And you know, you're a sales trainer. You're, a lot of your business is, you know, are on-site trainings. And obviously with coronavirus, everybody knows, everybody knows what's happened with in-person events. So can you walk us through that?
2: Yeah, sure. My sales training business, you know, January's the best time of year for me. Mm-hmm. And this January is my first time I made five figures in a month, which I was really happy about. That was my goal in January and February. I achieved that. I was so happy. You know, I've started my life all over again. I've got divorced after 21 years, which, you know, last year was the toughest year of my life emotionally. I've got my own house now. I was starting over. I was so happy. And the middle of March, it just collapsed. I mean, all the speaking slots at events went overnight. The sales training I had planned in April and May, gone. I had a few outstanding invoices. The clients said, we're really sorry. We can't pay your invoices right now. And that really affected me quite badly. The only advantage, I guess, I have was at my age, I worked through two recessions. Mm. So I went to work really quickly. You know, so many people panicked. So many people, understandably, were scared, especially young people who've never been through this before. But having been through two yeah. recessions, I did the old Brian Tracy thing. I got a pen, I got a paper. I didn't use any technology. And I spent a few hours working out, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. Because it was like, what do I do? I got a mortgage to pay. I got a daughter at university. I got to keep paying my bills, otherwise I lose this house. So I wrote down what I wanted to do. And the outcome didn't change. I still want to do, I love empowering people with sales knowledge, mm-hmm. and I love seeing them achieve success. But when times are tough, most budgets are put on hold, yeah. so I'm like, oh, okay. That's going to be a challenge. And the second thing is my book is due out in June. So I'm just going to release that book two months early. And that's what I did. I called everybody I'd helped over a year who owed me favors. Because <laughs> if I help people you know, I help people out, I don't say, by the way, help me. If I give somebody a LinkedIn to, a recommendation, I don't say, can you give me one, please? I don't do that. Mm-hmm. I don't like it when people do that either. So a lot of people owed me favors. So I got them to buy my book. They promoted my book like crazy on LinkedIn on social media and word of mouth just spread. And I read about Tim Ferriss, the the guy who wrote The 4-Hour Work Week. not a book I liked, but I loved his Tools of Titans book and Tribe of Mentors books, outstanding books on success. And he said when he would release his books, he would sell hundreds of copies in bulk to corporations. I thought, that's a great idea. Now my clients aren't gonna buy hundreds of copies, but they're gonna buy 20, maybe 30 copies. So I called every client I had in the last two years, since I set my business up, and I said, "Look, your customers are hurting right now. Buy thirty copies of my book and just give them to all your best customers because they will love you for it." And mm-hmm. some people said, "Get lost," but some people said, "You know what? That's a really good idea." And some bought three copies, some bought ten, some bought twenty copies, and some bought thirty. And books cost—let uh, me see—in dollars, three dollars a book, and you're selling them for fourteen dollars a book, and you're selling about. Close to about 800 copies. That's gonna help. That help me survive the first kind of four or six weeks. Because if your book does really well and Amazon don't pay you straight away, you have mm-hmm. to wait till the end of the next month before Amazon pay you. So I was being very creative. And the second thing I did is a lot of charities. I do a lot of charity work in the community, I'm sponsoring my local hospice. I'm an ambassador for the hospital. A lot of charities lost so much money. So I did a ton of charity work for free, helping charities for free, helping friends who would lost jobs rebuild their resumes, do their LinkedIn profiles for free. And over a period of a few weeks, so many people were talking about me on LinkedIn. Thank you, Neeraj. So I recommend Neeraj. He did this for free. I've got a new job. Or he helped out our charity. We now understand you know, our, our email rates have doubled. Whatever the reason was, all the people I helped started talking about me. And all of a sudden, people are like, oh, yeah, he was on our radar, but we weren't quite sure about him. Now we think he's okay. And so more people started talking to me about coaching over Zoom. And all of a sudden, I picked up some coaching work. So the book sales, the coaching work, just by being a great guy and helping other people. And then all of a sudden, clients are in my pipeline. were kind of moving a step forward in the pipeline. And then all of a sudden, we maybe test out maybe one hour coaching with me or two hours coaching with me. And that's really what I did. So I guess you could say it was incredibly hard work being creative and helping so many people for free. By the way, I don't normally agree in working for free, but when you're having a crisis and people are in pain, Morgan, mm-hmm. you don't just say, look, you can't help me. and like, money, guys, sorry. Yeah, have really got to help people when they're in pain. And most people, not all people, most people will be incredibly grateful for people.
0: Got it. What I pulled from that is overall, you have to adapt to the environment that you're in. And some are going to be more difficult than others. So you mentioned experience dealing with recessions. So you've been through two before. Yeah, I think that's really important for salespeople to understand is that, look, I graduated college in 2011. So I missed the 08. I was in school during the 08 financial mm-hmm. crisis. So really didn't get hit by that. Oh, this you're is, so
2: young. You're yeah. so young.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but this is like the first one that was like, this is for real like it's yeah. different now and you know that's something people my age and even myself like we got to understand like this just happens in the world at every 7 to 10 years there's something that you know knocks everything crazy and even little ones depending on your industry or whatever uh, in between then but this is just how it goes so like you mentioned Brian Tracy the Brian Tracy method of just getting down to the numbers and figuring out what you actually have to do and how you're going to make it work you have built up so much social capital, because you've been so helpful with people in the past that you're able to, you have more reach for your creativity. And I think that's really important because salespeople, even myself, since I'm a hundred percent outbound guy, as far as my training and my expertise, my background, and there's part of me that's rigid in numbers, contacts, how effective are, you know, outbound campaigns by what you're doing and how can you increase percentage, but some of it isn't about any of that. It's about those things you can't measure and track, which is those relationships you build, and how people feel about you. Um, yeah. So just like putting out that good karma right in the world and then also giving back. That hit me in a unique way because I remember my dad passed away eight years ago and something that really helped me out was volunteering at a local homeless shelter and working there it's tough to do when you're in a bad spot and you feel like you just want something, you need something to like give a piece of you away. But it's like, you got to give it away to keep it. It's crazy. But I I well, say what it's you crazy. did was amazing
2: and good for you because I see a lot of people go through traumas and everybody reacts differently, of course. And sure. um, people have to go through their own healing process. Mm-hmm. Um, I just find that having gone through a very painful divorce last year and lost mm. so much of my not just wealth, but my emotional sanity, that doing more for others just made me feel a bit better in my soul. Mm-hmm. It just made me feel a bit calmer. Um, there's nothing worse than working in a sales job when you're stressed already. (laughs) Sales is a tough job, okay? Mm -hmm. Uh, You can't come to the job with your own baggage all the time. You know, you've got to come with a really positive attitude, keep your baggage at the door, because you've got to give everything you have in sales. And a lot of salespeople are about their target and their commission. But when you're all of a sudden about the customer, you'd be amazed, A, how much more enjoyable sales is, but also how much more success you have if you're thinking of somebody else and not yourself. Absolutely.
0: Is there anything you can speak on about just mentally, how to take care of yourself mentally when you're, you know, just the day in and day out of sales can be a grind and showing up and consistency is important. We've all been there where we just don't feel 100% or maybe something's happened or I'd like to hear your thoughts on that and just like staying mentally fit for sales.
2: Yep, yeah, no problem at all. There's quite a few things I do. The first thing is I walk in nature every day, no matter what. So before I start work, I get the car. Ironically, I get the car. (laughs) I drive just 10 minutes into nature, and most mornings I'm walking around a lake, or I'm walking in a woodland, or I'm walking in a park. I'm not looking at my phone, I just clear my head. And if it's raining, I take an umbrella, but I always have that time every day, even today, Saturday morning was different. I went for a walk with a friend Mm -hmm. in the countryside for an hour, it was beautiful. And I meant that when I came back, I was catching up on emails. I was reading sales books. You know, I I did a good three or four hours work. This is a Saturday as well, just Mm -hmm. catching up with the world. But because I went for a one-hour walk this morning, it was perfect. So weekdays, it's only a half an hour walk, but mentally, it's amazing. And then at the end of the day, when I take a break, usually about between four, half past four, because I do a lot of work in the evening as well, again, I go for a walk. It's not in nature but it's around my housing estate. <laughs> it's okay, there's other houses, there's kids playing, but again, I put my earphones on, Bruce Springsteen is on, Aerosmith, one of my favorite rock bands are playing, but I just listen to music and again, I switch off. A lot of people are very bad at when they take a break, they look at their phone, for God's sakes. You know, we spend so much time in technology. If you want to just take care of your mental health, don't look at your phone all day. Yeah. You know, I know for a fact that people are staring at Zoom several hours a day, uh, they're on webinars all day, they're having to do team meetings on you know, Microsoft Teams or Skype or whatever they're doing. By two o'clock, people are sick and tired of staring at the screen. Mm-hmm. That's why I make my phone calls between two o'clock and four o'clock every day, and I'm having more success. I don't have much success first thing in the morning on the phone, but mm-hmm. in the afternoon I do. And that's when I speak to people, and nice. it's about having that human connection. And all these things are important. So go for a walk in nature, turn off your phone twice a day, listening to your favorite music is very important and then for 20 minutes before i start work again in the evening catching up on emails and doing proposals to clients i meditate for 20 minutes again i turn everything off i sit there in quiet i breathe deeply i meditate it usually becomes a nap (laughs) a lot of the time Mm -hmm. but i wake up feeling fantastic and these little things make a huge difference and there's a lot of obvious stuff as well like you know, you should really eat well. But then again, mm. I'm a big guy. It's like, you know, taking <laughs> advice from me about nutrition is like taking advice from an overweight personal trainer, you know, yeah. but <laughs> at the same time, I have, that's true, I have great energy levels. Like, so now I've got a standing desk. We can't, I'm not sure if you can see it here, but uh, this is my desk. This is my seat oh, down nice. here, but I'm standing. And I have so much energy when I stand compared to sitting mm. down 12 hours a day. It's not good for your ass. Yeah. And I got <laughs> to the point I was getting pins and needles in my ass, and I'm like, oh, God. So, you know, I called my sales coach saying, What am I supposed to do here? And she goes, Get a standing desk. So I spent about $600, got a standing desk, best thing I could have done. It means, you know, you can only stand for maybe 40, 45 minutes at a time, Mm -hmm. but it means I'm not wasting time on eBay or Amazon because my legs are tired. So I'm really focused on my job. But a standing desk is really good for your posture Mm -hmm. and it's fantastic for energy. I have more energy now. Than if I was sitting down and talking to you.
0: Nice, I love it. I also heard the story of a a female executive who she always has like when she gets back from vacation, she always has her next one scheduled. Like there's always something oh, on the calendar, wonder, yeah. so she's always has something to look forward to or like some time off she's knows that's gonna gonna come that can like eliminate that hamster wheel feeling. So, oh yeah, absolutely. That too.
2: Well, normally I would recommend things like you know at the end of the month go away to. Uh, a salon or a spa for an extra day, you know, spend a bit of time in the countryside. Mm -hmm. At the moment, we can't quite do that, unfortunately, but in the future, we will be able to, yeah.
0: Awesome, awesome. Niraj. it's been great chatting with you and learning more about your background and your experience and how you apply it to sales. Where can people get in touch with you if they're interested in learning more about you?
2: I always get people my website, everybodyworksinsales.com. And no matter how many times I do that, people still go to LinkedIn instead. So (laughs) (laughs) just find me on LinkedIn. It's Niraj Kapur, N-I-R-A-J-K-A-P-U-R. But if you go to everybodyworksinsales.com, there's a top 10 sales tips of 2020, which are really helpful. Mm -hmm. And if you fill up those details in, you'll get into my newsletter. I give value every week. I rarely do upsells. It's just giving value, 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 value. And that's everybodyworksinsales.com or LinkedIn.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks for your time, Dana
1: Raj. I appreciate it.
2: Thank you so much for your time, Morgan. Much appreciated. Mm -hmm. Bye-bye.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of the B2B Sales Tech Podcast. If you love what you heard, be sure to head back to morgandwilliams.com and go over to the podcast page for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on the next value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week and make sure to take action.